I've been reflecting a lot, so I'm going to share a little bit, but I, I've been reflecting a lot. I turned 40 in like, uh, like uh, I think it's like uh, 13 days. So at July 11, I turned 40, a decade's happening. And uh, I think in my reflection, even over the last few weeks, it's just been like, I'm like so thankful for this family. Like, and we do say for you new people, like, yes, we're at church, but when I say church, I, I don't hear event. Although we have events, but I hear family, and uh, family sometimes disappoints each other, or we get frustrated, and then we feel very loved by each other. But that's that's family, right? And as I've like, bear with this guy. This is Bodie. If you guys don't know Bodie, but uh, I think I'm just so thankful for this group of friends, you know, and. Uh, some of us are closer because we're in the house church together, and some of us are a distance because you're in a different house community. But I think coming in, closing the season, I first just say, like, hey, thank you guys for leading things. Those of you guys who've led things in your home this season, like, like thank you. Like, good job. Like, it's not always easy to actually try to lead people, or people don't show up, or they disappoint you, or... And we just keep leading and trusting. And I just say, hey, thank you. Um, thank you for a house church that they, we show up and it's been just so fun. But you guys, it takes effort to actually lead stuff in your home. But it is deeply impactful. So the Beals have led stuff. Some of you guys have been part of the Browns house church. I know, Rebecca, you have been. Uh, David and Katie, our house. Uh, and then some others who aren't here. But I know the Stones lead worship stuff in their house. And I just say, really, you guys, like, receive it. Thank you. Um, I think one thing for us, more than anything, I felt a word for us. There's a, um, the Gospel of John was the last gospel written. It was written like 60 years after Jesus died. And it was written like 30 years after any of the other Gospels were written. He was the last disciple to be living. And his big message, old John in his old age at the start of the Gospel, John chapter 1, he's like, references the creation story, which I'd love to nerd out on, but I'm not right now. But he, he just said like, you guys, like the Father loves you and love other people. If I couldn't have anything else from this family in this last season and going into this next, it's like, I just want you guys to know, like, God loves you. Like, I, I had a realization, the simplicity of this is like, I don't know if we can go any farther, like, whatever beliefs or theology or pushing through for vision for change in our city until we grasp, like, actually, we're loved. Like, God loves us. And I think in the midst of, you know, maybe family disappointing you, maybe church family, maybe friends, maybe kids, like God loves you. And I'm just like, let that sink in. I mean, from old man John or in this community, I'm one of the older people at 40. I say like, love, like put work in to actually just receive God's love. My family is memorizing a verse right now and it's like, but God, rich in mercy because of his great love that he has for us. Like yet when we were dead in our sins or our brokenness of life, he made us alive in Christ. And it's because of his kindness for us. And I just say for us, before anything we do, like just know you're loved, you're cherished. 
Like I'm loved when my when my kids, I have to say sorry to my kids because I was a jerk of a dad. Like I'm still loved, you know? So I know it feels like I'm just repeating the same thing, but literally old man John in his old age just said, like, love people. Receive the Father's love. Love people. So I think that's my word I have for us, you guys. And uh, if nothing else for today, I'm just like, like, get, let God love you today. Block me out and let the Holy Spirit just like in the midst of the disappointment that maybe is welling up on your heart for different things, like, let God like love you. <laughs> like he loves you. He's not like doing this, like a finger pointing at you and then like, hey, and then I love you. No, in the midst of our brokenness, like he loves you. That's the craziness that's different about any other religion. Is that like God loves us. I, uh, there's this unique thing, you guys, that even for this, this season of uh, the world or America, we're so disunified. Nobody's surprised at me saying that. And everybody thinks they're right, right? Everybody thinks they're right. It's easy. If people thought like I did, it'd be easy. <laughs> so disunified. And I think the word of like love people is at the center of that. There is some unique thing that you guys, you guys know university, like colleges, university. It's combining two words, unity and diversity. University, unity, diversity coming together. This was made by a Christian worldview. The only God in the world that was completely unified and completely diverse was actually the Christian God. Like he, he was, he was the, the Trinity who was completely separate but actually unified at the same time. And this is where it comes from of you guys that actually Christians are meant to unconditionally love everyone. And at the same time, hold on to truth. But unconditional love is so key. So, I mean, I'm just thinking of us as we actually live out as a Cromdale family. My push is like, how do we unconditionally love people? Embrace unity in diversity. Learn to listen when people believe different than us or there's brokenness going on in families or relationships and just say, I'm going to love you anyway because that's our God. But God, in the midst of us broken, he's like, I love you. I love you. Like he loves us in the midst of a... What if the... whatever issue is going on in your mind or in America that the world's going to be broken. The Lord's put us in America to bring love, unconditional love in the midst of different worldviews swirling around. Okay, that was, that was just, that didn't even start yet, you guys. That was just, that was, that was just my like word I felt for us. <laughs> Sorry, guys. All right. Oh, that's your recorder. Uh, well, how much time do I have, Dave? I have 10 minutes from now. Sorry. Uh, you guys, I want to paint the vision a little bit around why we do the format of church that we do. Like we are doing, we do these scattered gathered seasons, right? Of like, we do house churches for like four months and then we'll like gather for two months, like in this fall in a little pub down the way, and then we'll scatter again into house churches. And I think the heartbeat of it is to create space for each one of us to actually live as disciples of Jesus, 
who actually know how to be a disciple and to give yourself away as a disciple. I think, I think of this idea of like 2,000 years ago, literally this guy named Jesus, who was a real person, spent most of his life as an ordinary dude, had a job, like work stuff. And then around the age of 30, he found some ordinary ragtag people. And he just said like, hey, do you want to follow me? He didn't say, do you want to believe in me? He actually said, do you actually want to follow in my footsteps and start look the way, start doing the things I do and start looking like the way I do? Not just believe in your head, but follow him. And I think uh, it was quite radical. And these are ordinary people, like the, these guys, the disciples, and even ladies that were in there. If you watch The Chosen, there's some beautiful stuff they throw in there that I think is awesome but they're ordinary they had families they had hobbies they had homes they had jobs they had friends who disappointed them and he still said actually in the midst of that follow me do what I do like lead others to do the same and at the moment they started following like they didn't understand what Jesus was going to lead them to three years later And within three years, a short time, they just started taking steps of listening to the Father and trying to be obedient. And that's what we would say in Karamdeo. It's like, we just want people to try to listen to the Father and try to be obedient. We always say trying is radical. What if each one said, Lord, what do you have for me today? Every day. And I love Mike Waters' story. When he was like a poor guy before he got married, he was like, literally could eat breadcrumbs and barely make it. And he's like, Lord, what should I do? Okay, I'll drive Uber today. <laughs> and, but literally he does it so well of like, Lord, in the midst of my ordinary life, how do I hear you and just try to do it? And I feel like basically that's what these guys did as they followed Jesus. And you guys look, like three years later, Acts 17, like just within a few years, these ordinary men stood before powerful people in the Roman Empire. And these people freaked out because they're like, these ordinary people who are just trying to be obedient have turned the world upside down. Like they flipped the Roman Empire upside down. Now the Roman Empire is getting so freaked out because the culture of every part of that, of that world, the most powerful empire, was getting flipped by really ordinary people like us in this room, Karamdeo, who said, what if we try and actually say yes to Jesus? Like, what will be different in my job? How we buy houses, how we sell houses, how I deal with brokenness in my family, what will be different? So they began to do this, you guys, that if you turn, if you want to turn, you don't have to, but Acts 2, I'll talk a little bit about, so these people just like us in Acts 2 started following Jesus and communities started to naturally form. Guys, the byproduct of living as a disciple will create church or family. I'd say if you start with church, often disciples aren't made, events are made. But if you start with being a disciple, the byproduct will always be family. And you start seeing this. Acts 2, there's these radical group of people who start sharing food together. And it's not just events they're doing. They're sharing food. They're like, oh, This guy needs money. Let's give money to it. Oh, let's actually go serve the broken and the least. Let's also hold events and actually hear our friend Peter come give a message to us all. You know, so there's preaching, there's teaching, there's life on life. And in the midst of it, this organic community becomes contagious. 
people in their neighborhood like start being like kind of like looking at them they're kind of weird but i kind of like them and if you guys like keep turning with me there's a there's a guy it's in chapter four there's a guy named joseph who was living in their neighborhood and uh, he was a farmer in their neighborhood. This is uh, in chapter 4, verse 36. And he started observing just how a community like this started living of trying to be obedient to Jesus. And he started getting a little close, like, whoa, I kind of like that. I don't know if I believe because they're kind of crazy, but I kind of like it. And he started hanging out with them to such an extent. He's like, I want to be like them. They started inviting them into their parties, their barbecues. He's like, hey, my friend Peter's coming. Do you want to hear a church event we're doing? And pretty soon, this guy named Joseph, he was a farmer. They started calling him Barnabas because he just encouraged people. This was a farmer who said, my good job. Way to try to do that. He was known as the encourager. So they called him Barney, which means encourager. But it started being like, oh my goodness, I want to be one of them. And actually, the multiplication of this small house church started happening. And Barnabas takes one of his fields, unprompted to, sold it all, and said, you guys have all the money. I love what you're doing more than what money brings me. I want to do what you guys did. This guy named Barnabas, a normal, ordinary guy, started seeing Jesus change his life. He started saying yes to Jesus in the small things as he lived in this community in Jerusalem. You guys turn farther. Acts 9. This is epic. There's a guy named Paul. Who cares about him at this point? But most people focus on him. But the end of 9. Paul was this guy who actually would kill Christians. Most of us know the story. He hated him, so you'd go kill him. And God encountered Paul. But guess what? Because they just killed one of the guys in the church's best friend. Nobody believed him. I mean, who? if we had a guy come up and kill Dave, are we going to go hang out with that guy? We're going to be like, oh, yeah, let's go get some beers together, dude. We'd probably avoid him, right? And all the disciples looked at him and said, we can't believe in him. But there was a guy named Joseph, a farmer, who's like, but actually God, in the midst of life, believed in people. Like, loved them. So actually Barnabas, at the end of it, went and grabbed Paul, grabbed him by the arm and took him and said, guys, we must trust that God has worked within this guy. What just happened, you guys? Barnabas made a disciple. It wasn't the leader, Peter, the pastor who did it. Barnabas, who was the disciple, actually went and grabbed Paul and actually started actually pouring his life into Paul. Guys, if Barnabas wouldn't have done that, we wouldn't have three-fourths of the New Testament. Paul wrote three-fourths of the New Testament because this guy named Barnabas, just a farmer, an ordinary guy, started saying, I think the Lord's saying, actually go believe in that guy. And then he simply stepped out and tried. I think the heart of Cromdale is for all of us to actually not like trust, oh, Dave's going to teach somebody how to follow Jesus. What if it's like Matthew Turner who's like, oh, I got this neighbor, he's a farmer. I'm going to go actually say hi to him. I think the heart of this community is each one of us learn how to take risks with Jesus and learn how to give our lives away to the best extent we can. And we start seeing actually a society, Denver, transform because they love him over and over again. If you guys keep turning. Later, there started actually this church in Jerusalem wanted to multiply. 
Hence, like what we do in Caromdale, our heartbeat is actually every one of our churches. We say the Holy Spirit is the sent one. And if all of us have the Holy Spirit in us, I dare bet the Holy Spirit's going to start stirring people on your heart. Maybe it's a neighbor who does gardening. Maybe it's a rock climbing community. Start stirring things on your heart and we'll send you out. I would say us as a community is meant to multiply our house churches by the Lord stirring friends on our heart. And what happened with this Barnabas guy? He's a farmer. He's no different than a job. He started seeing like, hey, guys, there's this community up north. It's like probably like, I don't know, a day's walk north. And I have a heart for the people in that community. So they took him and set Barnabas. This farmer, a normal guy who earns money by farming to this place called Antioch. And they form a new community. What if in our neighborhoods, you guys, Caromdale, like me and Mike live across the street from each other. One day, I'm not saying when, one of us are going to be like, hey, Mike, I think, I think the Lord sent me and Tanya to a new neighborhood. We're going to lock arms in my back neighborhood, probably cry and feel sad. And then we're going to say, let's pray. Let's go for it. Let's bring effect and change to our city. You're, whatever, whatever home church you're in, God's going to start stirring things in your heart to lead new things. And you're going to be scared to death. You're going to be like, I'm not qualified. And we're like, exactly, but the Holy Spirit is in you. And this family will believe in you. In that, Barnabas went there and guess what he happened? He's there and he goes, I need a new friend. And Barnabas remembered that this guy named Paul went to Tarsus and he went and journeyed with him and grabbed Paul the murderer and brought him back to this house church and said, will you help love on people here with me in the city? They started seeing such change in the city. Again, a few years later, they started sending new people out. And you guys turn to Acts 17 if you have a Bible. This is what's crazy. Acts 17, a guy named Paul who actually led to the Lord more or less through an experience, but through Barnabas, a farmer, Paul literally was a leather worker. I know we think he's this theologian. He made leather products. So his heart was to reach communities, a new neighborhood. So what did he do? He went to this place called Thessalonica, chapter 17. And when he did there, this is what studies show. It's a little extra biblical knowledge, but he bought a little storefront he set up a leather shop for four weeks and just started working and building leather products. In the midst of it, his antennas were up and he started saying, Lord, are you doing something in the city? Like, what are you doing? And then when he would hear a little whisper, he would be obedient and he would go out and invite the storekeepers around him to come into the store. And he'd be like, you'll never know the goodness of the kingdom. This totally different way to do life. This unconditional love of a father who loves you. And actually, he was there only four weeks. And you're like, what? Just four weeks? And then he got ran out of town. You see this right in 17. He got ran out of town. Why? Because the culture he was setting was changing and shaking up the whole world of that city. The city was becoming more garden-like. And I would say the heart of Cromdeo is everybody, you guys, is going to multiply out. The heart, the heart of us is actually, there will be a house church in every neighborhood in this whole Denver metro. And one thing we don't believe in, we're never going to just say, oh, Holst House is dividing in half. We don't believe in division. 
We believe in multiplication from the Lord that the Holy Spirit's going to stir things on your heart and you're going to actually be like, I want to take a risk. I'm going to, I'm going to move out. Will you guys support me? Yeah, we're with you. Like, it's a heartbeat of actually friendship and multiplication out of a place of developing friends with new people, new neighborhoods. We actually say, Lord, will you move in those places? And will you use me? And will you turn this neighborhood or this community of climbers or basketball players upside down in a good, healthy, good news way? And I would say, that's the heart of Cromdale. And it leads me back to my first point. Old man John, when he wrote, when he wrote uh, the Gospel of John, it says, In the beginning was Jesus. But in the beginning was this garden. God made this little garden, you guys, right? And we always think that was the perfect place. And he made humans in his image to be like him, to actually make the place more garden-like. But he said, outside of this garden, outside of this garden is like void. And it's crazy. Actually, if you look at the Greek words or when Greek, like Hebrew words at the time, it would have actually said like Wild West, more or less. The craziness. And he actually commissioned everyone as you're actually in the image of God. Go make that craziness more garden-like. Make it more like the garden. Filled with joy, hope, peace. So now I bring to where we're at. We're in, we're in 2021. 2020 and 2021 in our country have been the most disunified, wild west, crazy, so many groups that hate each other. (laughs) Seriously, whatever point you put and you judge each other. If we're made in the image of God, each one of us are meant to say, whoa, not get scared and be like, the world's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's going to go to hell. No, we're actually supposed to lean in and be like, how do I go into the world and make it more garden-like? more hopeful. I have purpose and a calling with this family to make it feel more like the garden that God designed. And that's truth and unconditional love. And I would just say, you guys, my hope more than anything else isn't to create good events with Cromdale ever. Obviously, we're in a park. It's actually to make world changers who change the face of the planet and turn the world upside down. The original meaning for church, and this is my last point, and I'll stop. And this is what I hope we are. The word church is ecclesia. And uh, you guys, if you've been around me, heard me say this. But it wasn't used. Jesus didn't use that word. He used a different word. Um, But Paul started using the original word was a Roman word. And it was used by the Romans. And it was meant for the ecclesia of a city. It would be the major, the wealthy people of a city would come together and make decisions to be change agents in a city. They'd actually come make laws. They'd say, we're going to go to war. We're not going to war. These group of people would be the ecclesia who changes the city. So Paul came in and started using that word. If he just wanted a once a week, like a once a week event, he would have used the word they already had. It's called synagogue, right? They had a Jewish synagogue, an event that did great things. But he is the word church, ecclesia, because he looked around a city and said, every one of you are meant to be the change agents of the world. We're meant to come together as a family and believe, no way, like grab our seats and be like, Lord, how do you want us to change Inglewood? How do you want us to bring a hope that's beyond actually the brokenness we're seeing around us?
God, will you send me out? I'm scared to death. Will you do it? And then we're going to hear the whispers, you're not equipped. No, you can't do it. You don't speak as good as Dave does. You're not as smart as Dave. And actually, I would say, no, 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 you are equipped. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have a family right here that says, let's actually make this city and turn it upside down for goodness, hope, and love and erase fear, dissension, and brokenness. And that's what this family of Karamdeo is about. And right now we have five house churches. You guys, I don't care. I'm not like, I need more. I don't even care. I actually don't want more because I'm not a very organized person at all. You guys know this. Like I'm terribly, I barely can call people back, right? When they call me or text me. But actually I want a ton more because I believe that the Holy Spirit is in each one of us to make a difference in our neighborhoods. And that's the vision to catch. That's the gospel that we're meant to be sent out and just try. And I would say the last probably four years of Cromdale, I've seen this. And I just hope for more. I'm like, Jesus, make it more. Surprise me more. Make me more uncomfortable. Make it a little more messy so we actually see neighborhoods actually slightly different. Filled with hope, unconditional love. So... May we be like old Joes, old farmers who believe we're meant to change the world. And that's Karamdale. That's the heart of multiplication. And I dare bet we had five house churches this last season. Next one will probably, and I don't care if we don't, but I, I would dare bet the Holy Spirit's on the move. We'll probably have six or seven next, next fall. Just because in each one of you, the Lord's going to be stirring up a people group in your heart just to love unconditionally. And I hope that is, and Dave and I will coach you the best we can. Dave will be more organized than me, but I'll be a great cheerleader. So, um, and Dave's going to finish us off today. Yeah, guys, I'll, I'll wrap things up. Matt was convinced that I couldn't do this in under 10 minutes. So I'm just about to like body slam him right now and prove him wrong. But I'm kind of just sending this out. So for the next four weeks, a little odd, we are not gathering at all. We're basically telling everyone to take church off. And by that, we mean the events of church, the, the programming of church. And we felt this like a year ago when we were originally praying about just like kind of the rule of life for the community with gathered and scattered. We were like, we should just, we just had this hunch, like we should just try it. And I don't know if we'll do it every year. Maybe it'll become a thing we do. I don't know. But the intention behind it, I think well, I'll just say this. We'd all be probably naive uh, to think that we're actually good at resting. I think there's a cultural force at, at play in all of our lives that, that make us really bad resters and really good at being busy and distracted. Um, and so there's an intentionality in this, and that's why I'm just going to close with even talking about it. Because the hope is not that it'd be like, take four weeks off and just take church events off but that we would actually like practice rest, that there'd be a layer of intentionality and in practicing rest in these four weeks, almost as like a intentional movement against the cultural norm of busyness. And I think churches fall, fall victim to this all the time, thinking if we do more events or more programming or put out more podcasts or get more teaching, or like we think we're gonna grow or produce change. And I just think it's a lie. I just think that change doesn't necessarily come from busyness and like doing more. It's very anti-gospel in its nature. So 
two two quick little reflections on the uh, the word rest um in genesis 2 the word comes up twice the first time we hear rest is the hebrew word shabbat which is where in jewish culture you get sabbath which literally just means stop working like shabbat stop it cut it out quit doing that shabbat so there's an element of resting that like first you have to just shabbat you have to stop but then there's another word for rest used in Genesis 2:15 called nuach, and it's the word used to describe how God nuached Adam and Eve in the garden, and it's this it it's like it's like what you do when you hang out with grandma and play cards late onto a Saturday night, or you sit around a campfire with friends. To nuach is to dwell and be fully present. So first you have to shabbat, you have to stop, but then I think the invitation of biblical rest is to nuach. It's to actually be present. And even like what Matt's talking about of mission and, you know, Matt always, he always does the little, got your antenna up, hearing the Lord. Lord, what are you whispering? What are you doing? I think it's really hard to hear God's voice in normal life if we can't settle in and actually be present. If we can't slow down. And, and I think, honestly, it's probably the largest cultural force hindering people from connection with God in our day and age is the noisiness and the busyness of our lives. So the really practical invitation for these next four weeks is once a week to practice Nuach, to try and actually first Shabbat and stop doing stuff and then settle in and rest. And, and the hope, the secret kind of prayer and hope behind the scenes for me and Matt is that if we do that as a community, the Lord's going to actually speak little whispers of mission. Because when we actually rest, we actually sit with him, we can hear his voice, and then he's going to speak to us about stuff. He's going to speak to us about our job, about relationships, about things he's inviting us to try and be obedient to, risks he's inviting us to take. And, And I would just, I mean, it's just like a dream. Like, what if every year we took a whole month off and more like growth and production happened out of a month of ceasing and resting than out of a whole 11 months of trying to do things and push and we're going to do worship nights and we're going to do gatherings and, and, all, and all of a sudden growth starts to come out of rest. New relationships, new cool testimonies of what the Lord's doing starts to come out of a month of just resting and settling in. So you get really practical. What I'm going to do is every Monday morning for the next four weeks, if you're really creative and, and artsy, if you're Ben Dinsmore, you're just going to like run with it and do your own thing. And that's great. If you're like, if you're like Matt Holst and you need a little structure to help guide you every Monday morning, I'm going to send out like, hey, here's an example of something you could try doing this week, uh, a journaling activity you could reflect through or grab a friend from work and go get a meal and engage them with curious questions. Like, I'm going to give you a practical thing you could try doing that week. You can ignore my emails or you can read them and try it. Totally up to you. But every Monday morning for the next four weeks, I'll send that out as an invitation to try and practice resting in the next month. So it's not just time off. It's a time of, of invitation for this intentional engagement with rest. And then end of July, very likely, we're not 100%, but very likely July 25th, we'll start our kind of gathered season in four weeks where we meet on Sunday mornings for six to eight weeks of more kind of traditional gathering spaces. 
Dave, where are we meeting? Uh, we are meeting at the filling station in Englewood, the place we met in January. It's our friend Andy. It's like a little little pub. Andy's awesome. We love the space, and he gives it to us for pennies. So that's where we'll be gathering. And I'll, I'll keep all that updated in emails and on the website. But I'm just going to close us a little, a little midday prayer, almost a benediction. And then uh, me and Jamie are going to go fire up the grill. John's going to be leading an Olympic event of games and activities. And uh, yeah, you guys are invited just to hang and eat a bunch of food and linger as long as you want. Cool? So I'm just going to read this little prayer. It's two pages long, um, almost like a benediction. Father, we pause amidst the labors of our weeks and our days to remember the best reason for our laboring. We labor, O Lord, as stewards of your creation, as stewards of the gifts you've given to each of us for the good of all people. Bless the work of our hands. Bless the work of our minds and our hearts. May they bear fruit for your greater purposes through our lives. May our work this day and this week be rendered first as service to you, that the benefits of it might be eternal and lasting. Receive the offering of our lives and our labors. If our hearts have already been tempted to believe anything about ourselves or others that does not take into account your creation, your mercy, your sacrifice, your grace, your forgiveness, your redemption, or your unshakable love, well then remind us again of the truth giving us faith enough to believe and hope enough to choose to embrace them all once again. If we have swayed from the place of resting in your grace, swayed by shame, by error, by vanity, by pride, or by the love of praises of people, act on us, O Holy Spirit, reveal our error, convict our conscience, bring us to quick repentance, rekindle our affections, restore them again to their one worthy object, the one worthy of our trust, who is Christ, who alone holds the words of eternal life. And let us now shape our thoughts by your truth, even as you shape our hearts by your love. Grant us strength and grace, sufficient for the remainder of this day and the coming week, that we might move through its unfolding in humble obedience to your will, sensitive to your spirit, in joyful expectancy of your coming kingdom. May the light of that eternal city illuminate our hearts, our paths, our vision through the coming week and months. O Lord, amen. So you guys are sent into a month of rest. Let's go eat some food. Amen.